Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is where we talk about supercomputing, high performance computing, and other technology topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by my co-host Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions and Shaheen Khan from Orion X. Now let's get to the show. Here we are with another fantastic episode of Radio Free HPC. I'm Dan Olds. As always, we've got Henry Newman out there in the hinterlands and Shaheen Khan down the valley. How you doing, guys? All right. How are you, Dan? Excellent. Had a good fourth. Did you? What'd you do? Did a long bike ride. Haven't done one in a while. Oh, that's excellent. Anybody fire off a bottle rocket at you? No. They're illegal in Minnesota. I would love to be firing bottle rockets at you while you ride across in front of me in a bike. I just just got that image in my head, and I can't stop giggling about it. Very nice. And I'd be willing to drive to a place where fireworks are legal in order to buy those bottle rockets. (laughs) Anywho, so we've got some things to talk about. Shaheen's going to talk a little quantum. What is up, Shaheen? Yeah, quantum. A few things. One is about applications. So the quote to remember here is as follows, quote, quantum applications will always and only be hybrid. So hybrid is the word in quantum this week. And D-Wave announced a quantum hybrid strategy and they launched an application development workflow environment that takes that hybridity into account. So when you say hybrid, you mean it's part quantum, but it bursts up to AWS? Uh, (laughs) No? (laughs) It, quote, provides simplified workflow controls to developers, allowing them to use both classical and quantum systems in parallel. So this, to me, sounds like the CUDA of quantum computing, where you can use the accelerator together with your existing code, except that in this case, the accelerator is a quantum computing and has a whole different way of programming. Well, or else it's the Java of quantum and classical computing. It's not quite an application a virtual machine container. So I don't really get the sense of containerizing out of this that Java would imply. Uh, so I think it's more like an OpenGL, OpenCL, CUDA sort of a thing. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think it's a good idea because uh, we've all kind of talked about hybrid being an accelerator to traditional supercomputing. So they've got a modular approach. They do program deconstruction. So you can then do coding in an environment that's more familiar to you and use their existing software environment for that. Okay. So this is going to be difficult to work across the continuum of different quantum machines and implementations. You know, we asked Mike that when he was our guest a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the math seems to be the same, and the formulation of the problem into the code is kind of what may be different from machine-to-machine. That's what what I'm talking about. I mean, to be able to have the code generation for the machine that you're going to do is going to take a lot of work. It takes time. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Look look how many years some of these compilers have, you know— Oh, it sure does. training compilers have been around. It sure does. It sure does. On the other hand, if you can crack codes like nobody else can— that'll be pretty big incentive to hurry up and do it, right? Right. True. It's going to take some time and a lot more tooling like this. I mean, for God's sake... And a, we... lot, more, a lot more machines and a lot more people. Yes. That's right. I was going to say, for God's sake, we still don't have an easy way, really, to do FPGAs, to program those. That's right. No, we In don't. Fact, that didn't happen until the programming environment became way, way easier. 
Right. Yeah. And there was a company back in the early 2000s called Starbridge who tried to use FPGAs and it just never worked. Mm. Right. Yeah. If you remember so, Starbridge, Shaheen. I do. I do remember it. And even before that, right? Well, and after that, there's still been some. But Correct. Speaking of another thing that is new, i.e. quantum computing, D-Wave also cut a deal with the Japanese company Sigma I that is promoting quantum computing and application acceleration in Japan. And to round out the quantum report, Rigetti, which is local to me out in the Berkeley area, they won an award for technology pioneer from the venerable World Economic Forum. So there is your day in quantum. Nicely done. That is one small instance in the quantum world. Very nice. And that report has, what do they call that, pooled well in quantum? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh bad, Dan. It's yeah. all flowed down to the bright place of equilibrium. So now it's kind of a grab bag show, and Henry's got a topic he wants to talk about. Well, I was looking for my move about 5G availability, and there was an article that just came out on CNET, which we can put up, that uh, came out July 1, about 5G performance. And it got me thinking, I think we did a discussion about this probably six, eight months ago. And we're now talking 5G from a Samsung S10. The low end is Sprint at 583 megabits a second. So half a gigabit from your phone for a download, which is, by the way, over 2x what I'm getting at the fastest speed from Comcast that I'm, I'm running at 240 megabits a second. Verizon's at 1.3 and one of their... 1.3 gigabits. Gigabits. <laughs> and, and AT&T is at 1.8. And this is to a phone. Gigabits. Yeah, pretty sporty. It's really pretty amazing. Now, I don't want to know how much battery power it takes to do yeah. this because it's probably a fair amount. But my thinking is if you're a standard phone company and you don't have fiber in the ground now and you're amortizing that fiber in the ground now, it'll t probably take 10 years to roll out 5G around the country yeah. to most urban areas in some rural areas. But, but damn, that's fast. Who's going to want cable? Who's going to want... Nobody, nobody yeah. Who's going to skip right over it. Yeah. You can skip right over it. Who's going to want cable? Who is even going to want fiber into their house at this point? And you're going to have a new competitive market. This is a complete game changer for communication and communications companies in the country. Digging fiber up to your house right now, I don't think you're going to be able to amortize the cost of getting that down and making the money back because it's not cheap to dig fiber no i think these are some of the reasons why it's so strategically important now it's supposed to have a peak speed of at least 20 gigabits per second right so and, and shaheen i agree no, that's with that peak. that's peak yeah they, right and, they, and yeah. this is a samsung s10 early 5g phone so right it can only get better you're saying it can only get better, and it's going to change how people communicate and how information is shared. And how about latency? Because the advertised... Uh, latency is eight minutes, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> All the bandwidth in the world, but the latency is significant. No, I think the latency is probably pretty good. There was an old John Mashey saying, money can buy you bandwidth, but latency is forever. <laughs> There's nothing in this article about latency. I just did a quick so look. The advertisement says a reliable 100 megabits per second user experience in 
urban areas and four millisecond latency. It's not bad. Four millisecond is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Really, anything below like 500 milliseconds is but almost you said a, imperceptible. A hundred megabits? That doesn't get my heart racing. But that's a reliable, it sort of sounds like so the minimum like you can expect. So it's like reliable, but potentially 17x more. Potentially. <laughs> <laughs> but reliably 100 uh, megabit. But a lot has to do with the spectrum and the frequencies that you're using and the heft of the receiver and the sender. So I think and, at the, yeah. And just to give you an idea, at my house, I'm getting, uh, I got just peaked out at about 220 down and 16 milliseconds of latency. The other thing about 5G that was advertised that is interesting is that it supports at least 1 million IoT connections per square kilometer. Yeah, so that means I, you can have way higher density connected things. Dan, I would add one other important point. I got a high-end router. I got an Aris high-end cable modem. There's a lot of hardware in to get those speeds here. Yeah. The, it's Doxis 3.1. It's all that stuff. There's a good $500 in hardware just to get what I'm getting. Whereas I buy my phone, I can get, I can do my phone stuff. I can get 1.8 gig and I have one thing in my you know, pocket. That's something. I'm getting 5.11 down and 41 up with 41 millisecond ping, which I think it's pretty good, but damn, yeah, this is going to be interesting. It's going to put some serious pressure on the cable companies because right now, as far as I can tell through searching, the highest Comcast offers is a gigabit. That's it. Yeah, and that, and that's not everywhere, and that's down, not up. Yeah, the other thing, down. it's going to put an enormous pressure on phone companies that are traditional phone companies that don't have, even if they do have a fiber network to people's homes, which in some areas is pretty popular, it's going to put enormous pressure on those phone companies that are still selling DSL. Yes. Oh, forget it. This is DSL. This is multiple headshots in the DSL. This is death. Yeah. Uh, long overdue if you ask oh. some people. Uh, I totally agree. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, <laughs> I saw this article and I'm going, well, when am I getting 5G? And it looks like the rollout for most of non- big cities, you know, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, et cetera. And I'm guessing it will be 22, 23. Gives you a reason to stay alive, Henry. Gives you something to live for. It does. <laughs> That's good. I've got a bit of a sad note here for those of us in the computing community. I'd like to cue the somber music. I'd like to have a little memorial service for a system we all knew pretty well, the Titan supercomputer. Mm, served us well. Yes, yes. Uh, an Oak Ridge it was a great system. It was AMD's biggest system with 9,000 nodes. It also was one of the first NVIDIA accelerated systems. They eventually crammed in over 18,000 GPUs in it. It's been on the top 500 list, but it was only number one for a short period of time. In fact, as far as I can tell, only one list. And then it got nailed by the Tiani 2 and was relegated to second on down from there. But it was a great system. And of course, Oak Ridge is going from that strength to new strength with the new system they just announced. Yes, true. But the other thing about this system is that it was upgraded midway through its life. Then they crammed in some new GPUs and the thing got 10X more performance. It was started life as the Jaguar system 
and then went to become the Titan system. It got a tenfold uh, boost in performance and only consumed another 15% of energy. And as the operation manager, uh, Stephen McNally, says, Titan has run its course. The components of Titan are now seven years old. It's really impressive that users have been successfully producing high-impact science results since the system became available to them. But the reality is, in electronic years, Titan is aged. Seven years is a long time. Seven years is a hugely long time for any system that I've been aware of in our industry forever since I've been in it. Now, they did upgraded a few times so that right, is right. a midlife right. kicker but still uh, yeah that interconnect that interconnect is old gpus are newer and they did a cpu refresh memory dims wear out there's all kinds of stuff and just getting parts after five years so it's a good system titan we knew you we knew you well you did a great rest job in rest in peace little buddy <laughs> not quite little <laughs> rest in peace you huge massive chunk of hardware so with that, I guess it's time for the catch of the week. Henry, what do you got? Nothing. It would just be a negative security. There's all kinds of stuff. I just, I just don't want to go there today. Another fearful security story fraught with angst and threatening and all of that. Okay. So, Shaheen, what's your catch of the week? I am going to talk about hot chips. Hot Chips has been an ongoing symposium in the Valley, pretty important event in the world of semiconductors. It's a conference that's sponsored by IEEE, and it's coming again to Stanford campus. That's where they hold it, in recent years anyway. And it'll be August 18th to 20th. So I'm going to be attending as much of it as I can. They're going to be talking about cloud architecture, semiconductors in the cloud. AI obviously will be featured prominently. There will be a tutorial on RISC-V, which is a growing interest. Then there is talk about process technology, machine learning, automotive, embedded, lots and lots of important things, as well as interconnects. I've always wanted to go to Hot Chips, so I think it was in Denver a couple years ago. I am very envious of you, Shaheen. Oh, I'll take good notes. And be sure and report back. I'm going to bring us back to ground that generally Henry trods <laughs> and talk a little bit about the ransomware that's been taking over cities. Baltimore is still trying to find their way out of a ransomware attack that they you know they could have paid 76 grand but they've refused to pay and by now it's cost about 18.2 million. Now, I'm not arguing that they should pay that, but I just want to point out the numbers. Two cities in Florida, small cities. Shocking it's Florida. Shocking it's Florida. 12,000-person city, Lake City, had to make a Bitcoin payment of $462,000 by the city's insurer to unlock their systems. And a week earlier, the city of Riviera Beach, about 34,000 souls, in, authorized its insurance carrier to pay about $600,000. What the hell is going on? And as I said, none of this is any of it's going to change so they could get jack their insurance rates. Yes. Yes, I would say insurance rates for uh, ransomware are heading up. Now, the FBI is still advising cities not to pay, saying that there's no guarantee they're going to get their data back, and they warn the victims could be targeted again or held up for more money, and that paying only encourages more attacks, all of which I would agree with, 
but the FBI is not the one that can't get at their files and can't get at their system. It's really a difficult problem. How do you fix it? You've got to be much more secure. You've got to educate employees about phishing attacks. You've got to make sure no matter how small a city or town you are that you're doing good IT practices. I think a lot of these things come in through common back doors and unpatched exploit vectors. Well, and the education part about ransomware, educating your employees, that's the hard part because they're small towns and they're people... The people are not IT oriented. It's going to be very, diff- that part's pretty difficult. Dan. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I always think of Mayberry. What would Andy Griffith do if there's a ransomware attack on Mayberry? I mean, who are you going to reply? Who are you going to have Who are you going to have in charge of those IT systems anyway? Barney? <laughs> Barney? Barney would be in charge of the IT system, and that is my point. Yeah, and then you've got to call together Floyd and Howard Sprague and all those guys, the town fathers, to, well, what are we going to do about this, Andy? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Ask Well, you have to ask Aunt B. You've got Aunt B in there, too. She's in the mix. You've got to explain it all to her. I don't know what a small town is to do today. It's tough. (laughs) Get Gomer Pyle. Get him him on it. You still got Gomer in town. That's true. And Otis. Hell, Otis probably did it. On that homely note. (laughs) Yes. On that hometown note, let's go ahead and call this an episode of Radio Free HPC. We want to thank all 15 of you out there for listening. And we will come back at you soon with another episode. Thanks again. Boom. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening.